I'm Gregory Berg. The following morning show interview was recorded and initially broadcast back in 2007. Please enjoy. Well, if you uh, frequent garage sales, or even if you don't, I think you are going to have a lot of fun with the book that we're going to talk about for the next few minutes on the morning show, a book called Garage Sale America. And we are taken on something of a tour of garage sales across the country by a, a designer from New York City, Bruce Littlefield, uh, who is already the author of Airstream Living and Use What You've Got and Other Business Lessons I Learned From My Mom. And uh, he is a designer of very successful restaurants and has an astonishing collection of garage sale treasures, uh, which uh, uh, are, are to be found in his uh, farmhouse in the beautiful Catskills. And he has written about uh, some of the adventures and experiences he's had uh, visiting garage sales in this uh, wonderful, entertaining little book called Garage Sale America, which comes to us from HarperCollins. Uh, from their line, Collins Design. And for the next few minutes, we're going to be talking with Bruce Littlefield about this book and about what we can find at garage sales. Bruce Littlefield, we welcome you to the morning show. Thanks a lot, Greg. I love that you said astonishing collection. Does that mean that I have a lot of stuff? <laughs> you really do, and it's kind of an amazing array. And I guess we should mention that uh, people can see some of that in, in the pages of this book and on the website, which you have, garagesaleamerica.com. How did this all get started for you? Well, it's a, it's, you know, it's, it's a good question. And I, I tell you, how it actually got started was that I, I bought a, a place outside the city in the Catskill regions of New York. And I sort of scrounged together all my money, bought the house, and then realized that I had an empty house and an even emptier banking account. So I did what I had done since I was a child. I went out garage sailing and began to slowly but surely accumulate everything that a house needs, from the bed down to the last teaspoon. And I completely furnished a very rather large house for under $5,000. Hmm. So I, I, I decided, as I am an author, that I would write the, the, the tale of this and also tell people about the adventure of garage sailing. I've been doing it since I was a, a young boy in South Carolina. My grandmother used to take me out on Saturday mornings, and we would go out, and she would get the town gossip at the garage sales, and I would get some great little fines for quarters and that kind of thing. You, you say at one point in the book, it's perfect entertainment, fascinating characters, long-lost treasures, decorating choices, and true stories that are often stranger than fiction. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> um, they are sometimes stranger than fiction. I have had many of those. Um, and I think one of the things that is, is so terrific about the things that I have in my house, which I show in the last half of the book, uh, is that everything in my house comes with a story. It's not just the item, the, a bench or a, a, you know, a suitcase or a chest. It's, it actually comes with someone else's a story or, or my, my acquisition of it, the, the story of where I found it. And it makes those things in my house you know, have a life of their own and come, come, to, li come to life when uh, I have guests and that kind of thing. You also say uh, that uh, garage sailing is the perfect antidepressant because it's a good deal for all involved. And I guess that's probably a really good point about all this, that when someone has made the decision that they don't need to hold on to such and such, yes. well, anything they get for such and such is, is in a sense, <laughs> a good deal. And, of course, it can be a wonderful deal if they get quite a lot for it. But uh, Exactly. I say that... Um 
you know, uh, the great thing about the garage sale is that it's, um, I want what you don't want, but how much is it that you don't want it for? <laughs> we, <laughs> we um, you know, it's certainly, the, the, the terrific thing is, is that people are getting rid of the things that um, they no longer want or need. And sometimes those things are things that, that, you know, they see in a room that they have in their house that bother them, personally that bother them. It might have a bad memory because of the way that, that who gave it to them and they're no longer in their life, or it might be just have grown out of use. So for them, it's a great cathartic release of, you know, cleaning out unwanted things. And for me, when I find that unwanted thing that they did no longer want, I see and bring to it a new life and something, a new adventure for it. And, you know, sometimes it, it serves the purpose of, of, of exactly what it is, like a chair. It's going to be a chair in my house. And sometimes other things um, uh, become something else. Like I have, you know, my, my trash cans, for example, in my office and in my bathrooms are old minnow buckets. And those were obviously used for some great, uh, you know, fishing trips along the way. But now they're fishing for trash in my house. Mm. Or if some antique uh uh, toy car becomes a planter or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. You talk about the, the strange dichotomy of what is trash to one is treasure to another. And I think that's especially intriguing that, that sometimes there are, are, are things in life or things around us that are kind of the same to everybody. I mean, to just about everybody, the Hope Diamond is this incredibly beautiful, uh, unreachable luxury thing. And then, and then there are other things where... Yeah, to me, this is just a, a grimy old butter dish, and to someone else, it's that butter dish that's the missing piece in this otherwise complete collection that I got from my grandmother, and how the very same object can be uh, viewed so differently. That's absolutely it, and you know, we all value is really what we're, we're willing to uh, pay for something or what it would take to have us part with something. And a lot of the things I say, you know, I say in the book that, that I don't, I'm not out to sell anything that I acquire. I'm happy to have it all and, and enjoy it. But, you know, the value of something really is what, um, what the, the value that we inherently put upon it. So, yes, my heirloom dishes that my grandmother gave me are, are truly a find. And when I go out and I find that they're, they're featured in the book, they're, they're called Franciscan Starburst, and they, she acquired them at um, uh, jewelry stores. They were only sold through jewelry stores in the 50s, uh, in the late 50s. And so when I go out and I see a piece of that, that fabulous china, I grab it and I'm the happiest guy alive. So the, the value for the, the people selling it to me is that I'm willing to pay whatever price they have on it, you know, six bucks to 25 bucks. And I'm, I'm getting something that, that for me is, well, like the Hope Diamond, priceless. Hmm. You mentioned already the fact that you kind of got started on this in these uh, weekly Saturday trips with your with your grandmother, mm -hmm. who loved garage sales and would take you along, and uh, and you you talk in the book at one point about the, the way it, it it worked for you, where you'd be given a little bit of money <laughs> and would get to make a few purchases, and you mention also that. A lot of those purchases were not the, you know, the slingshots and yo-yos <laughs> exactly. that maybe most kids would have purchased. Yes, I, um, I, I didn't buy the normal kid things, and I'm, I'm, I might have been strange from the very beginning, but I would buy, like, bottles, and I would come home from, from the sale, and I would put, you know, cut flowers in her yard, and I'd, I would make the Sunday dinner table beautiful with, the, with those bottles. Or, and I, I show it in the book, 
one of my favorite purchases when I was a kid was I used to love the Carol Burnett show. It was one of those things that when I was growing up, I would sit in my grandfather's lap and we would watch Carol Burnett and we would laugh and laugh. So at one sale, there was a postcard from Carol Burnett. It was like a headshot postcard and it was signed, Love Carol Burnett. So I bought that from a, it was the preacher's wife sale. I never knew and I still don't know whether it's really Carol Burnett's signature on that thing. But it is one of my most prized possessions because I've had it for so long, and I put it in the book, and I say, um, Terrell, if you're, if you're out there, is this really you? <laughs> hmm. You know, when we look at some of the, the pictures here where there's a whole lot of stuff on a counter or on some shelves, um, I mean, like I'm looking, for instance, do you have the book in front of yeah, you? Yeah, I do. Right across from just the page that says introduction, yes. <laughs> so towards the very yes, beginning. I got it. And now, is this from your house, uh, the, the thing to the left? Okay, no, that is from um, one of my favorite stores, and it's, a, it's actually in a garage. It was my first store, our garage sale, that I went to up here in the Catskills. It's from a, that's from a store called Cat House Antique. Hmm. And it's, uh, it's some nondescript kind of off-white or dirty yellow metal shelves, it appears, and on them, all kinds of different serving pieces from all kinds of different colors sorts of things. And yeah, multiple colors and different designs and so on. And what's so interesting is just to take one of those, you know, off the shelf, you know, sort of in isolation wouldn't necessarily be kind of a big deal. But you throw all of these on these shelves and, and we're just kind of overwhelmed by right. the variety and the colors and so on. I mean, it's, it's really interesting how sometimes in, as sort of a collective experience, uh, the, these objects can be uh, so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those colors, it's um, the, the Pyrex bowls are what we, we're looking at. And those Pyrex bowls are, um, when they were introduced, they were called the um, spring flower colors. And so you have the, the brilliant yellow and the vivid green and that, you know, luscious red. And so those, to me, are timeless. And the... The, the thing about Pyrex is that it has become, especially the, you know, the older Pyrex, has become extremely collectible. So if you, um, you know, a, a set of Pyrex bowls um, are more expensive now than they were when they were sold uh, new for 250 back then. Hmm. But um, you're right. The, the, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And as a collection or as a group, you know, you can see the, the aesthetic beauty in, in them. Right. Or a, a little later in the book where we see a picture of, of a number of kind of old, rusty, looks like coffee cans. Uh-huh. And, um, again, just one of these, especially if we, you know, just found it in a garbage dump, we probably wouldn't, it would never even occur to us that this might be something that you might give a place of some honor well, on, on, a, on a counter someplace. Exactly. And, well, I use things like that, like old cans and uh, old bo- little um, boxes or, or container things I use for various things in the house because, uh, you know, it, it, to me it looks better than, than something that's plastic and brand new to have, for example, the Folgers coffee, an old Folgers coffee can, and I put, for example, paper clips or rubber bands or things on my desk. So then my desk has something visually exciting and, and also just, you know, it's a, it, looks, it looks different than something that you would go and buy in a superstore. Hmm. We're speaking with Bruce Littlefield. We're talking about his book called Garage Sale America. Actually, although some of these are indeed garage sales, 
you actually throw around a couple of different terms. Um, help us understand uh, the distinctions, if, if there are significant ones, between garage sales and yard sales and tag sales and so on. Okay. Well, you know, garage sale is sort of the universal term for it. It's sort of the I'm selling my stuff and I'm selling it cheap. Um, that's sort of the universal sort of the Q-tip, Kleenex, uh, this is what it is term. But there are variations on that term that are, are quite interesting when you get into the semantics. So, you know, a garage sale, the way that happened was that, you know, people would gradually move their things out of the house that they no longer wanted, and where would they be? They would be in the garage. And rather than, than having to, you know, take it to a store or, or sell it elsewhere, they would just literally open the garage door, put out a sign, and invite people into their garage to look around. So that, that's sort of the genesis of garage sales. Then more ambitious, they would um, drag their things out from the house into the yard, and it would become a yard sale. Um, and that—that that is um, oftentimes a little more. Um, well, you know, it's—it's—it it, it, things become a little more um, eclectic and jumbled when they get outside of their their uh, you know outside of a living area. And then reversing that inside the house, sometimes people when they when they uh, someone passes away or they decide to move or, or relocate, there are things called estate sales, which. If you ever see an estate sale, and it's in a, especially particularly if it's in a, in a fancy neighborhood, you know you're going to find incredible things there. And what what you, what happens is is that you go into that house, and pretty much it's like a, a a museum, a store that has everything priced from the Tupperware in the kitchen to the uh, you know towels in the bathroom. Sometimes the, the phone on the wall, even exactly everything is for sale. So those, those in um, some parts of the country are called estate sales, and in another part of country they're called tag sales. Hmm. Then, of course, you have, which is probably one of my personal favorites, because I didn't discover it until I started my uh, Catskill adventure, but uh, the ever-present barn sale, which, you know, I, I tell you, when you get to see a, a barn sale, it's, like this deli- it's a delightful garage sale shopping experience. But typically, it's in a large outbuilding, sometimes really on a farm, and the owner has, you know, rustled up some big pieces like benches and gates and uh, kitchen farmhouse kitchen sinks. My my kitchen sink that I feature in the book came from a barn sale, you know. And so a lot of times, um, there's, a, you know, they have old signs at a barn sale and old tools, and and uh, so the barn sale becomes a little more, um, you know, sort of distinguished. And then, you know, the, the end that we can all understand and, uh, you know, many of us probably have been to are, is a flea market. And a lot of times a flea market is held at various times of the year. And, you know, there are different booths where you can move down from booth to booth. And the thing that's different about a flea market is sometimes at flea markets things are sold that are brand new. So you go and you find, you know, new tube socks and that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, that's sort of the, the wide range of things that, um, that, that, that are from the garage sale uh, vocabulary. Sometimes these are, of course, just an individual person or family. I mean, one single house. And sometimes these come uh, become great extravaganzas. At one point, you tell us a little bit about something which liked to bill itself as the world's longest yard sale. Yes, I took, that was um, sort of the, the, the genesis of the beginning of the book, was that I, I decided to, to 
go to something that I've always wanted to do, which is the world's longest yard sale. It goes from Gadsden, Alabama, up into Ohio. It's over 450 miles long, and literally it's yard after yard after yard of a garage sale, garage sale and yard sale. People come from all over the country and all over the world. I met people from as far away as um, France um, that had come to, to shop this sale. And what I did is I flew down. I rented a 22-foot truck. I had $1,000 in one. And I wanted to drive that sale and see how far I could get on my, my $1,000. Hmm. By the time I made it back to New York, I had completely filled that truck, and I had spent, I think, $973, and I found... 933 actually. Oh, 33 is that what it was? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Um, $933, and, on, and I, I showed that picture in the book, and I sort of point out some of the things that I got on that trip. Yeah, it looks like a, 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 some kind of a trailer... <laughs> Uh, absolutely filled floor to ceiling with all kinds of different things. Yeah, and so when you when you think about you know those items, and I did buy, buy a few very big pieces, like I bought a, a Coke cooler, an old antique Coke cooler, and it it as I said um, to you earlier, it, it has a story, um, which is that it was um, from an old general store, and the guy who owned the store was a moonshiner, and he got busted, and so his store went out of business, and his I, I bought it from his. Uh, uh, son-in-law, and um, and it is you know a fabulous piece. And what I use it for now is that it, it has wine and beer and that kind of things in it outside for um, garden parties. Hmm. You know, just as we look at that spread and we see these, the, the, what is pictured there, some of the things which you bought, we can tell that there are some really cool things there that. Uh, perhaps are worth a whole lot more money than uh, the person in question sold them for. And I wonder, you know, as you do this, once in a while, you know, you end up with something that we could think of as a steal, and you're not literally, of course, stealing anything, but in a sense, once in a while, you are, let's say, benefiting from someone else's carelessness or cluelessness <laughs> about, yeah. how, about how actually valuable a given object is. Do you think very much about that? Well, yeah, or their great desire to get rid of it, certainly. Um, I, I, I have a piece in my house that I got shortly after the world's longest yard sale. I went to Baltimore for, um, to do some uh, searching around there, and I came across at a sale a leather rhinoceros, and it sounds crazy, but it's about a, a foot and a half tall and two feet long, and I, I saw it, and it was, it was covered in dust and dirt and obviously aged, and, and it was in a, with a, you know, a, a pile of, of other things. I go over to it, and when I touched it, I realized, oh, my gosh, this is leather. So I turned, I, I turned to the woman, I picked it up, and I said, oh, what's the story on this? And she thought I was bargaining with her. So it was marked $75, and she said, I can give it to you for 70 I said, okay, deal. So I handed her my $70, knowing that this thing is a piece. I, I practically run away, and <laughs> I, get, I get home, and I start doing research on it, and I find that it is a, um, an original store display from the Abercrombie & Fitch stores from the 1930s. It's where kids used to sit on it when they would try on shoes. The last one of these sold at auction at Sotheby's for over $6,000. Mm. So in response to your question, do I feel guilty that, that I have it and, and she doesn't anymore? No, I don't, because she was so happy that I paid her $70, 
she no longer wanted it, and quite honestly, I'm not going to sell it for the $6,000. I'm using it as an ottoman for my most comfortable chair in my house. It's a beautiful piece, and I will always cherish it. So, um, you know, I, I, I do say to people that, you know, if you're going into um, a grandma's house and, you know, she has these fabulous old china set and she's selling the, you know, uh, a set of china that might be worth, you know, 800 to $1,000 and, and she's got $20 on it, you, you might say to her, oh, that's a little underpriced. Let me pay, you know, let me give you a little more. But I guarantee you what she's going to say is, and I've had this happen, is that she's going to say, oh, no, I'm ready to, I'm happy to get rid of it. I'm glad you like it, um, I've been told. Hmm. So, you know, it, it's, 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 like I say in the book, it's a win-win situation for everyone. Absolutely. Well, in particular, especially, I, I remember one of my favorite pictures in the book is of some kind of cute little cookie jar that apparently is chipped and is missing the lid, yes. but it's still kind of cute. And you talk about sort of the new life which is given to, to certain things that are slightly broken and imperfect in one way or another. Yeah. Uh, perfectly imperfect, I guess, is the way you, you, yes. you, you say that, the heading of that little section. And that's a really good point. I mean, giving a little a bit of extended life and extended purpose to something that otherwise would just get put out in the trash. Yeah, exactly. And I call things like that, um, like that cute, adorable cookie jar, I call that a shelf piece. Because when it's sitting up on a shelf, no one cares that it has a little chip on the rim. No one cares. It, you look at it, it's got a great big smile on it. It's, a, it's an, you know, a, an adorable piece, and it, it, makes you, it makes me, particularly, happy when I look at it. And to know that I, I, I got it for next to nothing... That even makes me happier. Mm. Let's, uh, let's close by talking about uh, a few of the suggestions which you give in your book, both to sellers uh, and to uh, customers. Uh-huh. Uh, and and there, there's some really good suggestions here for sellers, uh, aside from you know, the fairly obvious things like price your goods fairly, whatever right. that means. Yeah. I mean, but relatively small little things like provide bags and yes. clean your items. I mean, I'm not sure either of those would have occurred to me. Well, you know, like, for example, I have gone to sales that people are trying to get rid of old clothes and that kind of uh, things, and, you know, they'll have them in basically their dirty clothes hamper sitting out on the lawn. Now, I don't want to dig through someone's dirty clothes hamper, so that's not the way that if I were a seller that I'd be wanting to market my merchandise. I say to people, if, you know, if, if someone is having a sale and they really want to do wealth, you know, financially by, you know, unloading their things, then they want to think of their, themselves as setting up actually a little store that day. You know, they're, they're setting up their own store. So make it look as, as, as well and as, as friendly as you can. But um, when, I, when I tell people that are going to have a garage sale how to have it, the first thing that I want to say to people is that realize that this should be something fun. You've got to have a sense of humor. And, you know, you're inviting people over to look at your things. So... If you don't have a sense of humor and you're crabby or greedy, then um, you're not going to have as enjoyable of an experience as somebody who who will say, hey, the prices are negotiable, or holler if you see something that you you want to talk about, or, you know, those kind of things make it so that it's a friendly experience for all involved. So um, my biggest biggest, um, advice for for people that are wanting to sell their things and, and have a garage sale is to be friendly and to be nice and to, and to sort of enjoy the fact that you're getting to meet some of your neighbors. Hmm. And you have a long list of suggestions for buyers, such as go early, keep moving, 
think about repurposing and lots of other really, really great suggestions, which I think could be uh, yeah. so, think, so appropriate and, you know, and helpful. You know, Greg, I say that um, go early if you want the best thing and go late if you want the best bargain. Mm. Obviously, as the sales start, they're not going to negotiate as much as they are at, when the sale's nearing its end. And obviously, when the sale starts, you're going to be um, at the sale with early birds, who are the people that go early before the sale is even set to begin. And those people are oftentimes dealers. You know, they're going to either sell it on eBay or they might be the kind that are there, that are there from dealers and they have their own, their own store. My, I, a friend that I feature in the book, he has a, a fabulous mid-century modern uh, furniture store, and he's at sales early in the mornings um, every weekend looking for those unique, absolutely perfect um, uh, mid-century treasures. So, mm. you know, um, go early, best stuff, late, best bargain. And then the thing that I say to, to, to buyers along the same line is be, be a kind person. Park appropriately. Don't be parking in, in your na- the, the neighbor's yard or in a flower bed. And, you know, um, be, be um, kind in your, in, your, in your negotiations. Don't be calling, telling somebody that their stuff is ugly or, you know, and I've seen that happen. But, um, you know, be, be kind. And two things. First of all, don't ask to use somebody's bathroom. It's not a store. <laughs> And I, I, this is like my big hint, is don't wear expensive shoes and don't drive up in an expensive car. If you do those two things, the prices are, are going to be higher for you. Mm. <laughs> so if you can look a little raggedy, uh, so much the better, huh? Well, and also you're willing to, you can trudge through the mud and be happy with it. There you go. Well, this beautifully uh, appointed book with wonderful full-color photographs, again, is called Garage Sale America, published by Collins Design, an imprint of HarperCollins, and uh, the author, Bruce Littlefield. Bruce Littlefield, I so enjoyed your book, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it today on The Morning Show. My thanks to you and best wishes. Why, thank you so much for having me, Greg.